Hey there folks, Kyle McMahon back here with you to tackle part two of this week's edition of Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. If you're looking to find out what we might expect between the Argos and Red Blacks or the Stampeders and Rough Riders, that info is all available in part one of the show, which of course you can find linked on my Twitter at kdrive88 uh, or at firstlinepicks.com or whichever of the many platforms you prefer to listen on. So we're going to break down the Saturday games in this part two of the show, uh, starting off with the Alouettes and the Blue Bombers. Montreal cruises on into Winnipeg, no doubt feeling good about themselves after sneaking past Calgary last week, but it's a very different story on the home side as the Bombers continue to sink in the standings and are now desperate to snap a three-game losing skid. Winnipeg opened up as four-point favorites. That number has been bet down a touch to three and a half in some spots, uh, but four is still widely available, while the total now sits at 46 and a half. No question about it, uh, despite both teams sitting on similar records, uh, both with six losses, the Owls having played one less game, um, one of these teams needs this win a whole lot more than the other, and, and that team is, of course, the Blue Bombers. First item to cover is obviously the quarterback situation in Winnipeg. Uh, It'll be Chris Strebler getting the start once again for the blue and gold, despite Zach Caleros being acquired on Wednesday afternoon's trade deadline. I'm not sold that this move is really going to do a whole lot to change the Bombers' fortunes the rest of the season, uh, but by the same token, I don't think they could afford to sit on their hands either. This was supposed to be the year Mike O'Shea finally got this group to a Grey Cup, and everything was looking good in that regard for the first several weeks of the season. And even though Matt Nichols went down in August, Winnipeg seemed to transition into life with Strevler as the number one pretty well in the early going, picking up wins over Edmonton and Saskatchewan in two of their first three games uh, with, with him driving the bus. And they were well on their way to a 10-3 and record three weeks ago in Montreal when, you know, as we all remember, they suffered an unprecedented fourth-quarter collapse that seems to have just sent this entire campaign spiraling into the ditch. This offense is now sitting on just one touchdown and 22 total points scored in their last 10 quarters, and a significant concern over the play at the quarterback position has arisen. We've known since last season that Chris Strebler has a lot of tools to work with, and he'd shown a fair bit of promise up until recent weeks, but he, he hasn't taken that next step as a passer uh, that Cody Fajardo, for example, ha- has taken this year. And in plain and simply, you're not going to be successful in, in three-town football in, in 2019 if you can't pass the ball. When Matt Nichols did go down, there was certainly a component to the fan base and you know CFL observers in general that I, I think really just kind of shrugged their shoulders and figured no big deal. They've got Strevler back there. He might be a better long-term option anyway. Myself, personally, I've never been in love with Matt Nichols as a starting quarterback. I, I think he's one of those guys that you can be content with in the short term, but if, if he's your guy, you're probably eyeing a potential upgrade if one were to become available probably fair to equate him with with Kevin Glenn maybe for example or uh, you know a David Archer for those of you a little older who remember him but as we're seeing there's still a noticeable gap between what you can expect out of those players on a consistent basis and and what a true replacement level quarterback is going to provide and until he's able to refine his passing game that's what Chris Strevler appears to be Running for 100 yards is nice. Uh, That definitely can win some football games. But when opposing defenses game plan around limiting the damage you can do with your legs, 
you have to beat them with your arm, and that just isn't happening right now. You know, this was an offense that was criticized at times under Nichols for the lack of explosiveness in the passing game, but under Streveler, we've seen their explosiveness pretty much cut in half, even from that level. So uh, some of that is attributable to a tougher schedule of opponent defenses. Nichols did see most of the snaps in the four games against Ottawa and Toronto. But the grass isn't always greener on the other side, and I I think a certain segment of the Bombers faithful are, are coming to this realization here. So with Caleros, the first thing that needs to get sorted out is his health. Uh, It sounded like he was on the verge of returning to the field uh, as far back as three weeks ago, and and he has been practicing. Um, It seems doubtful the Bombers would have gone through with this trade if he wasn't ready to at least be available on the bench, I would think. So I'd have to assume at this point that he's healthy, or at least as healthy as a guy with his injury history is ever going to be. Streveler getting the start this week, uh, no surprise, it's it's really doubtful. A new quarterback is going to come in and start three days later, uh, regardless of, of anything. But those final two games of the year against the Stampeders is, is where I think this becomes a legitimate question. Mike O'Shea strikes me as a fairly stubborn man. He's a guy that will defend his players publicly. That's a trait I think most people want out of their leader, but he's had the tendency to stick with his initial choice uh, almost to a fault at times I've felt Winnipeg found themselves in a pretty similar circumstance last season around this time of the year with fans howling for a change at quarterback after Nichols slumped badly mid-season O'Shea stuck with his guy though and in that case the Bombers managed to turn things around in the last month and went into Regina and won a playoff game um so I'm not entirely convinced Caleros gets the chance to be the guy here, even if they do go out and, and lose a game this week and Strevler looks bad. I guess the other thing to consider is, uh, even assuming ideal health, has Caleros really shown that he's a starting-level quarterback in this league at, at this point in his career? 2015 was a long time ago now, and that's really the last time we saw him out on a football field playing at an elite level. If Winnipeg was looking for a guy to potentially come in and save their season, I'm not convinced that McLeod Bethel-Thompson, presuming the Argos were willing to part ways with him, uh, wouldn't have been the better move here. He's by no means a guy I'd want my season riding on either, but he has shown the ability to get hot for a couple of games at largely random intervals, and maybe you cross your fingers and, and hope it happens here, but, you know, or, you know, hypothetically would have happened there, but... One thing that may or may not come into play is that Caleros does know the Riders' playbook. If Winnipeg is going to recover and make a run at the Grey Cup, their path will almost certainly take them through Regina again, so maybe even a small detail like that factored into this situation. So as far as the game itself goes, uh, the field is presently underneath some snow as winter seems to have arrived early on the prairies, as it often does. By the looks of things, there's a lot more weather to come, and we could be in for a cold and snowy afternoon at Investors Group Field. If this is indeed the case, uh, you probably have to like it from a Winnipeg perspective, as the impact on the passing game is, uh, or the the impact that the passing game can have uh, under those conditions is certainly lessened. Both teams have strong running games that can take advantage of a snow-covered field, but ultimately if it really is snowing heavily during the course of the game, that type of extreme weather tends to turn these games into a bit of a free-for-all. The forecast for Saturday has been changing as we're, you know, we're now approaching the 24 hours before kickoff. 
Um, so keep a close watch on that. But at the present moment, it's calling for clear conditions, but sub-zero temperatures and significant wind. You have to like the home team's chances of figuring out the proper footwear in these situations, though it's no guarantee. Um, the Alouette players probably didn't pack five pairs of shoes to bring with them, so you, you hope they're able to figure out the footwear situation as best they can as the visitor. Initially, I was definitely on the side that liked Montreal at plus four. I, I think this number probably should have been in the pick'em range, um, but it is a little worrisome that the passing game might be severely hampered here. The last time these teams were on the field together, we were watching the Owls march up and down the field through the air uh, like it was nothing in that fourth quarter. The Bombers chewed Montreal up with their run game for about 40 minutes, but the, the Owls made the adjustments they needed to late in that game, and I, I wouldn't bank on Winnipeg having the same degree of success, uh, especially if the Owls' defense can just overload the line of scrimmage between the numbers. The cold and snow don't help offenses, but on their own, probably don't quite have the detrimental effect on scoring that I think most people would assume. However, strong winds, gusts up to 35 or 40 kilometers per hour are being predicted, and those can definitely stymie an offense. You know, and if that wind happens to be blowing in a north-south fashion as it relates to the, the field, um, the offense that has to move the ball into that wind, we often see very little scoring coming from them. Kahari Jones, post-practice, he did mention uh, they're hoping they'll be able to run what I take to be their standard offense, but they are prepared for a run-heavy game if need be. For their part, the Bombers and Andrew Harris specifically, they seem pretty excited about the possibility of playing on a bad field. No surprise there for a team that likes to run as much as they can get away with. Injury notes from both sides. Darvin Adams missed some practice this week for the Bombers, but is expected to play. And probably the most significant change to either roster is going to be the absence of big Tony Washington at left tackle on the Montreal offensive line. He suffered a broken leg against Calgary. That's obviously a season ender. Those are big shoes to fill, both figuratively and literally. So watch that blindside edge for Vernon Adams as Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat are going to be lurking there all afternoon, I would suspect. And, and those guys usually make their presence known uh, regardless of who's trying to block them. I think at this point I'd maybe hold off on laying down a bet until close to kickoff when the weather situation is more clear. If the field conditions are passable and the wind maybe dies down a little, I, I still like Montreal getting more than a field goal here. If it really is a mess out there, and this game is, is likely to come down to which offensive line and running back combination gets their footwear figured out first, I, I think that definitely becomes an advantage for Winnipeg. Perhaps not enough that I'd lay the, the three and a half or four points in the other direction to back them, but uh, enough that I would advise probably not going against them. As far as your over-under is concerned, if there's snow on the field and the wind isn't howling, I like the over. Offensive players have the big advantage of knowing which way they're going to cut and miss tackles from defenders who have to either guess or try to react on a slippery field or, or commonplace. But as I said, a, a significant wind is definitely something you don't want if you're trying to get over on a total. So at this point, I think it's just going to have to be a, a wait and see what things look like on Saturday afternoon. We'll conclude our trip around the league by heading to provinces to the west where conditions appear to be somewhat more inviting as far as playing a football game goes. The BC Lions take their four-game winning streak into Commonwealth Stadium on Saturday night looking to keep their improbable push towards a playoff spot alive for another week. 
and standing in their way will be an Eskimos team who has lost five out of six games but still just needs a single win between now and the end of the schedule to wrap up a playoff spot. Two teams headed in opposite directions here for sure, but we have to appreciate the recent schedules of both clubs. Edmonton has gone out and lost four games to Hamilton and Calgary in their last five appearances on the football field, while BC has beaten up on Ottawa, Toronto, and, and stole that late win against Montreal with, with Schiltz and Pipkin at quarterback. So not exactly a murderer's row, but regardless of the quality of opposition, there's no doubt that the Lions are playing their best football of the year. The adjustments made along the offensive line after Brian Chu was replaced with Kelly Bates as the offensive line coach uh, looks to be paying dividends so far. Mike Riley has had time to throw the football, something he had none of from the start of the season up until Labor Day, and the plays that are being called have, have played a significant part in this as well. There were plenty of times earlier in the season where we, we watched this offense send four receivers deep on second and medium plays, and, and defensive lines were just teeing off on the quarterback in those instances. They've really scaled things down here. The run game is being utilized much more effectively, and controlling the football and not getting buried in terms of possession seems to have been emphasized. But... But the one burning question that still remains is how this is all going to look against an upper echelon defensive line. Ottawa, Toronto, and Montreal, uh, those are definitely the three least imposing defensive front sevens that the Lions have faced this season. And it just so happens they've you know faced them all in five games in a row here. Um, Edmonton has tremendous depth along the defensive line right now. Uh, throughout their September swoon, we've still seen guys like Mike Moore and Kwaku Boateng causing problems along the line for opposing offenses. You throw in Matthew Betts, the rookie who, who's looked quite sharp when he gets into the rotation, and even with the improved play along the BC offensive line, you have to think the Eskimos still have a key advantage here, one which was on full display the first two times these teams met back in the early part of the season and you know that was with Edmonton uh, rotating less than than eight guys through the defensive line rotation as, as well um, so these two teams have taken very different paths in reaching the win-loss records they currently sport uh, yet at the end of the day the only real difference has been Edmonton winning the two head-to-head matchups besides that it's practically identical with the Eskimos and Lions both sweeping the Argos and Red Blacks aside, getting the home-and-home home split with the Alouettes, and losing every single other game. The key difference this time around, besides the current form of the two teams, is that Trevor Harris is not going to be available here, as it'll be Logan Kilgore getting the start again. Not a lot to be impressed with so far from him, but we weren't expecting a quarterback change, despite some thought that maybe it was time to see Jeremiah Briscoe get a look he threw a couple of passes right at the very end of that Hamilton game last week. Uh, besides that, he hasn't seen the field. The Edmonton offense is also going to be without C.J. Gable at running back. Um, I'm not making any adjustments to expectations for the Edmonton offense based on this absence. Gable has shown himself capable in fits and spurts this season, but overall I, I don't think he's provided anything you wouldn't uh, also expect out of a replacement level running back his last seven starts the Eskimos rushing game is graded out at over 50 percent just a single time uh, with an explosive run rate of less than 10 percent Shaq Cooper is going to replace him and he had a pretty nice outing in in one start back in early August I believe that was uh, 
I like his first cut a lot more than Gable's personally, so I think there's actually a higher ceiling potentially for the Eskimos ground game here than there might have been with Gable back there. BC has done a much better job defensively against the run in, in recent weeks, but again, there's that uncertainty factor due to the level of competition. William Stanback was really the only major threat they've faced in the, the last month plus, and he ran roughshod over them two weeks ago. You also factor in that opponent quarterbacks, uh, you don't really have to worry about too much as far as victimizing you through the air. So this defense was in a position where they could cheat slightly towards stopping the run. That said, the situation isn't really a whole lot different here. Uh, Cooper has potential, but he's a relative unknown. And again, they'll be going up against a quarterback that in Kilgore that isn't scaring anybody. So seeing seven and eight man boxes in standard down situations is probably something we'll see a lot of here. On the other side of the ball, I, I think if you're Philip Lawley drawing up the Edmonton defense this week, you have to go back to what worked for you so well the first two times you went up against Mike Riley, despite the adjustments the Lions have since made. This new look line hasn't been truly put to the test yet, and if you can put them on their back foot early with a heavy blitz, I, I think that's something you need to at least try. John White has had a really nice second half of the season for BC, He's managed to stay healthy for the most part, which was always the the big hang-up with him. Um, and with the way Terrell Sutton abused this defense last week, you have to be confident in the Lions' resurgent run game uh, coming to play in this one. But the one thing that would give me some degree of confidence from an Edmonton perspective is, is that this side of the ball has at least shown some ability to adapt and recover if things go wrong early, which isn't something we can really say about the Lions' offense. If Edmonton can get to halftime with BC sitting on, say, 10 to 13 points, I, I think there's a pretty good chance they can lock things down later on and at least put the team in a position where an average effort from their own offense is enough to win. For a comparable, I, I look at what this BC offense accomplished against the Alouette defense in, in those two games they've, they've played against them since Labor Day. 16 and 25 points that first figure may be a little deflated due to a pair of red zone field goals uh, but I still think if you're on that Edmonton sideline you're you're looking for your defense to hold BC to around 20 points here and and you just have to hope the offense is able to make enough plays to hit that number themselves total is at 45 in this game uh, last glance uh, for, uh 45 and a half uh, I think that's a pretty fair number Neither team's going to be operating with any tempo here. BC hasn't done so in weeks, and Edmonton, for the most part, hasn't since Harris went down, and we're not seeing very many deep balls getting attempted from either side. So it's going to be lots of small ball, probably a fair number of drives that pick up multiple first downs without scoring, and uh, I think majors are likely to be in pretty short supply here. The line itself, this opened with BC as very short favorites, minus one, and it quickly moved on to minus two and a half, where it remains at this very moment. The weather conditions on the prairies looking like they'll be much less of a factor in Edmonton than Winnipeg. A cool night is probably on deck, but no snow or significant wind is being forecasted. BC being a dome team from the one CFL city in Canada that you might maybe classify as a warm weather locale, Maybe not as, as used to operating or, or practicing in chilly conditions, but it's it's still going to be a few degrees above zero on Saturday night, so I wouldn't expect that to really be a factor here. 
For me, I have just enough skepticism towards BC's recent success that I'm leaning towards taking the points here with the home team. They've done well not to throw in the towel at, at 1-10 in 10 when it would have been very easy to do so, and the, the market is certainly bought in. We saw them get steamed out to minus 6 in that Alouettes game from two weeks ago. Uh, they pushed up from minus 8 to 9.5 last week. And obviously here again, they've taken the early money. I'm not ready to buy stock in them quite yet. Sometimes there's that sense that, you know, we kind of expected this team to be a playoff team at the start of the year. Some people, a lot of people, in fact, were talking Grey Cup. You know, hey, look, they're finally living up to that potential. Let's jump back on board here. I'm willing to go as far as saying BC has turned the corner. Um, they're better than what they showed in July and August. But just turning the corner from where they were at isn't, to me, quite... Uh, a clear indication that they're going to walk into Commonwealth Stadium and keep rolling against an Eskimos team that for all their shortcomings is, is still a clear step up from Toronto and Ottawa and probably on par with the Matt Schiltz-led Alouettes team that you know really ought to have beat BC two weeks ago if, if not for that untimely goal line fumble. You know, make no mistake here though, uh, an unwillingness uh, to drink the Lions Kool-Aid is is by no means a simultaneous uh, endorsement of Edmonton. I'm pretty leery about expecting a Jason Moss, Logan Kilgore-led offense to score enough points to beat anybody right now. But big picture, you look at this defense, there's really only two teams that have got over on them in 2019. Hamilton and Calgary in games with Bo Levi Mitchell at quarterback. If those are the only two teams that can make your defense look second rate, that's still not a bad position to be in. I think this game probably comes down to to a field goal either way. If Edmonton were to move to a full plus three, I, I think it becomes a pretty straightforward decision at that point who who you're taking. But at, at two and a half, uh, there's still some trepidation. So probably another line to watch right up until kickoff you know we'll we'll see if the market continues moving in in BC's direction or not all right one last thing to take care of before we bid farewell for another week and that is of course the best play on the board before the weather situation developed in Winnipeg I was definitely eyeballing Montreal plus 4 as the best investment available and it's still a play I'm reasonably content with but we did find out last night that McLeod Bethel-Thompson is going to be getting the start for the Argonauts. That's a big upgrade over James Franklin for a team looking to rebound from a huge embarrassment last week. The hope here is that the Argos will show some pride back at home. Uh, perhaps Pinball's infectious positivity is able to have an effect on team morale. And they're able to at least come reasonably close to replicating the 46-point the effort they delivered against Ottawa a few weeks back, you know, with essentially the exact same offense on the field this week. Market does appear to be moving in Toronto's favor in, in lieu of the quarterback announcement. Um, you'll remember that game was initially uh, two and a half got bet down to, to minus one, and, and that minus one uh, for Toronto is still out there. You have to lay a little extra juice, uh, you know, or else uh, minus one and a half is, is now the common number. Uh, so so there you go, uh, you know, a reason to tune into the toilet bowl later on tonight. Um, so that'll do it for now. 
Thanks for tuning in once again, guys. Uh, remember to follow me on Twitter at kdrive88 if you're not already doing so. And for access to the full show archive, plus some other gambling-related content, visit firstlinepicks.com. Good luck with all your investments on this Thanksgiving holiday weekend. And hopefully we have plenty to be thankful for when that Argos ticket cashes for us later on tonight. We'll see you next time.